You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. I'm Christian Babcock, the host of the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. And what we do on the podcast is we talk to disruptive companies in the outdoor industry, talk about innovative hunting solutions that are changing the landscape, as well as offer you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. All in all, I just want to help you become a better hunter by providing you with high-quality knowledge and information that you can trust. Stay tuned. This week on the podcast, I'm joined by Shane Llewellyn. Uh, He's the owner of The Outfit Oklahoma, an outfitting business started in 2016 in Oklahoma, my home state. And Shane, why don't you just give the listener a little bit of context into who you are and what you guys do at The Outfit Oklahoma. Yeah, um... Yeah, the Outfit Oklahoma is a, uh, it's primarily a waterfowl outfitter, but we do offer dove and spring turkey and um, just about anything with feathers in the state of Oklahoma with the hunting season, we're going to do it. So That's awesome. So when you started it in 2016, what did you do previously for work? How did, how did that transition look? Um, well, I... Uh, Basically, my entire adult life, I've been an outfitter or a guide, I guess. Been involved with commercial hunting. And uh, I started off, I got really close family friends in the panhandle of Oklahoma and Texas. Mm-hmm. And they uh, they do wild quail hunting. And um, I started off with them. I kind of grew up hunting out there. That's where my dad would always take me. And uh, as soon as I got old enough, 18, I, I started. Uh, they started trusting me enough to outfit. For him, mm-hmm. guide and uh, did that for till I was probably 25, so six years or so, really heavily. I mean, we hunted, we hunt 100 days a year, you know, wild quail, and uh, they kind of downsized a little bit. And I saw the opportunity in Oklahoma to uh, start my operation here, and never looked back. That's really fun. I mean, so you guys primarily did quail. Did you? You know, throughout that time, did you do any whitetail guiding, any kind of waterfowl guiding, or is this kind of your first stint into the into that space? Well, I shot my first duck when I was six, so my dad <laughs> would always take me out of school, you know, like that Friday, he'd get me out of school early or something, and we'd run up to the panhandle and uh, hunt out there, you know, through the weekend, staying at this lodge that I'm talking about that I, uh, that I work for. Um, it's called the Last Buffalo Outfitters. Uh, you should check them out get guys to go check them out it's a it's a really first class operation you know they got like 25 30 bird dogs at all times and uh, i fell in love with that i got to see you know firsthand what the whole commercial hunting has to offer and yeah uh, i knew i knew you know i was probably 15 i knew that's what i was gonna do and so as soon as i got old enough out of high school i uh worked up there i changed my college schedule so it would work with hunting you know and right made it happen it was it was amazing um great guys out there and they taught me everything i know about it and uh i basically just took what i learned from them from upland hunting and applied it to waterfowl um so i guess to answer your question i've always been a waterfowl hunter for fun um that's what i did on my free time but uh you know i really didn't get after him you know the way in taking it to the next level until I started my own outfitter. You know, it was always mm-hmm. kind of a buddy deal. Yeah. 
where uh, where out in the panhandle do you guys hunt? I went out to Boise City last uh, last October to hunt antelope. I'm actually going to go back in December and try to get an antelope. But yeah, where were you guys out there? Not quite that far. Um, I like to call it the armpit of Oklahoma, right <laughs> at the start. Yeah. Um, so right under the line there, uh, slap out Oklahoma. Um, I have a lot of family in that area, and um, so just south of slap out Oklahoma, it's off 412, population seven. <laughs> So, uh, out there and it's called no man's land, you know, for a reason, yeah. but that's where the wild quail are. And, um, you know, central Oklahoma and a lot of places in the United States, they're struggling pretty bad, the quail population, but, um, you know, out there it's mostly shrub country, uh, sagebrush and they're doing strong as they ever have. So that's really cool. So one of the, one of the biggest parts of, I guess, running an outfitting business would be having land to hunt and having it plentifully. So, you know, especially with waterfowl, something that's migrating, something that, uh, you know, they hop pond to pond depending on pressure and stuff like that. And how do you go about, or what's some tips that you would give to someone that's trying to either start their own business or, you know, just a guy that's trying to get permission on places. How did you go about getting permission on, you know, places that consistently hold good amounts of waterfowl? Um, well, to start off, you know, I used relationships, sorry, I used relationships um, that I built through clients and um, other landowners from the quail operation, and that kind of gave me my foot in the door over in northern Oklahoma to get, to kind of, that was the first big lease I got for waterfowl, it was um, through that. So the same thing I tell everybody. Um, this is a business of relationships, you know, and it's either, you know, your landowner relationships, relationships with clients, and relationships with your employees or crew you have running it. And you just got to keep all those things together, and they'll, you know, if you if you treat those right, they'll take you to other places. You know, it'll grow to other things. That's kind of how I got started. Um, so, yeah, I mean, starting an outfitter can be a tricky transition, you know. From hunting with buddies and uh, hunting on the weekends to trying to do it five days a week or even seven days a week, you know, it's kind of a, it's a big difference from just buddy hunting, you know. How does it, what's the difference look like with landowners? Like, say you've hunted uh, previously on a landowner's property with your buddies and, you know, you've got a limit of like two or three buddies you can take with you. How does it work if you now want to take clients out there and now they know that you're profiting off their stuff? And so how does that work for you guys? Do you try to offer them a lease or like, what does that look like? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I would, I don't want to get too much into it, but it's also, honestly, it's just different per landowner. You know, you, you, you go, you, you can do as much as they'll allow me to do is what I, is what I'll get away with as far as like managing the property or, or changing things. But, uh, you know, if you start, if you started out hunting, buddy hunting it, and you're wanting to take people for money, you know, the best thing you got to have to do is sit down with the landowner and explain to him what you're doing. The number one complaint I hear from landowners is, you know, guides deceiving them mm-hmm. in the past. Uh, you know, hey, ring your doorbell. Hey, can, you know, don't mention anything about guiding. Just ask if we can hunt it. Farmer says yes. He drives out there the next day and sees 13 trucks parked out there, you know. And uh, he's going to figure it out pretty quick. And um, a lot of people burned a lot of bridges doing that. And uh, that's my deal is if I'm making money, you know, the landowner's going to make money too. You know, I'm going to pay you whether you want me to or not. 
you know, mm-hmm. kind of deal. So it's just, it just keeps that, keeps that going, you know, and no one feels like they're getting taken advantage of that way. Yeah. No, that's, I, I think that's really true because I've had, I've had uh, buddies that have had some really, really good spots and like people will come in taking, you know, 10, 12, 13 people out there and the landowner thinks both of you guys have permission and, you know, you got a limit of three people you can take with you. And like you said, there's seven or eight, 10 trucks out there. And that's, uh, I've had some people told to never come back before that I, (laughs) that I know of. And so I think that is a really, really quick way to burn some bridges. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just respect and recognize what the farmers are doing out there or landowners. It takes a lot. It takes a lot to own land and to, you know, to work it, borrow the money to plant them, to plant the fields, you know, they, they do, they do it all. And we show up for a few months of the year and, uh, you know, want to do our thing there. So, you know, just, it's always about picking up trash, respecting them and let them know what you're doing, everything. You know, I, I try to call people before I'm out there the day before and tell them, you know, Hey, we're going to be out so-and-so property and have this many guys and, and, you know, just be upfront and honest with them. And, you know, there's a lot of guys that say no guiding whatsoever. And, you know, you just take their hand and say, yeah, no problem. If we ever get free time with no clients and we got buddies, we'll come hunt it. But, you know, if you don't want guiding, they don't want guiding. They don't want the liability or, you know, no telling. There's a bunch of different reasons. Most Mostly they've been taken advantage of in the past, though. And so, you know, I'll try to work with them and work through that. And it might take a year or something. Just be patient. But, uh but yeah, yeah. Be, be honest. So what does it look like? How many, uh, different for like someone that wants to come waterfowl hunt with you guys? Like, do you guys have a diversity of different things that you have? So like some big ponds, some Milo, some cut corn, some winter weed, or like, do you have all that or how much land do you guys have access to? Um, well, I don't want to throw out a number of acres or anything. Like that. <laughs> no, but, that's uh, fine. But you know, a lot, um, plenty but yeah no that's one thing i kind of i kind of take pride in we have we hunt ducks and geese in all the different types of scenarios um i have everything but flooded timber and that's going to be hard to get in oklahoma unless you man make it anyways yeah Um, i would imagine i mean i don't know i don't know what's going on northeastern oklahoma they got a lot of water over there so but uh where i'm at you know we we're gonna hunt anything from sheet water wheat fields milo corn um and then these farm ponds you know I love taking these, some of the guys from the East Coast or something to a tiny farm pond. And as the sun comes up, they, they, you know, they're looking at each other, wondering what the hell's going on. And then, you know, hour later, we shot 45 ducks or something, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's really cool. And I don't know if that happens quite like that everywhere else in, in the nation, you know. But we just get such a, uh, they get so congregated, the birds here in Oklahoma, because I think, you know, water's limited somewhat. And so... uh you know, you can have some of your best shoots on some tiny bodies of water here. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think from what I've seen and duck hunting a lot in high school, especially like we, I think we do have a, a lot of water up in northeast Oklahoma and a lot of little pieces and a lot of big pieces. Because like, I know out west, like I've hunted uh, some public. I'm just gonna say in western Oklahoma, <laughs> uh, and there wasn't that much water. So like there was only a few places to go. And I feel like that helps a lot in terms of like getting the birds congregated in one area. Absolutely. And then, you know, it's up, up to whoever's managing it. And then we, and I do a lot of that 
trying not to blow birds out too is uh you're talking about big ponds i mean we'll hunt some big ponds but honestly i i uh i'll lease a lot of big bodies of water reservoirs and uh we we won't ever fire around there it's basically to create a refuge for them because we don't have the public land you know you got salt plains up in the up in northwestern oklahoma you know and you it's a refuge but other than that everything's going to be private land so at any moment someone can go in there and blow up one of these roosts and um you know that's going to push birds out so you want to it's real important at least for in my operation you know try to leave those big bodies of water alone and uh, hunt them when they go eat yeah do you guys do you guys ever hunt roost ponds or is that just towards the end of the year or how's that work Man, for you guys yeah towards the end of the year um i try not to touch my roost if they're roosting there for sure try not i mean they get geese especially ducks are a little more forgiving on stuff like that but uh you know geese will geese get really weird if you go hunt a spot um like that like a roost um but you know there's low punts sorry my cat's in my face there's low no, punts you're good. that um that will definitely do some low punts um where maybe birds are leaving the roost eating and napping or loafing in the middle of the day on a separate body of water from their roost if they're doing that they're in trouble you know we're gonna slip in there on them but i basically almost won't even go in i mean <clears throat> we'll go in and take photos and stand on the corner of these some of these roosts i have you know the geese won't even fly up they know they're safe there you know and then you just that's exactly what you want you want to keep it that way yeah what's your favorite scenario to hunt them in do you like hunting those little farm ponds do you like hunting wheat what do you like hunting them in mm -hmm. Well, Milo fields, probably my favorite agriculture. Um, I mean, favorite crop to hunt, hunt in. Um, but if I had to pick one thing to do, I just love shallow sheet water, you know, uh, maybe a wet seasonal wetland or even a flooded Milo field or something, but you know, knee deep type water. Yeah. I love watching a dog work in that where they kind of, they do the hop run type thing. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Absolutely love that. Yeah, you guys, do you guys try to have, a, you know, a good dog on every hunt? Absolutely. Um, I'm a firm believer in, you know, duck. a dog is a part of duck hunting to me. Um, it can be different on a goose hunt. You know, I get, it depends. You got a lot of guys out there and it's completely dry. You know, you don't really need a dog, but if you got a well-trained dog, you know, he's not hurting anything being there. And, uh, you know, it's just part of the sport to me. I love it. So I've always had a dog, you know, when we were six years old and my dad took me, you know, that's, I hung out with the dog the whole damn time, you know, <laughs> right. So it's a, it goes, they go hand in hand as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Is it, uh, you know, is it just a thing you like to, you like watching dogs work or you just think they're, uh, they're born to duck hunt? Like, I mean, I love watching a good lab work, but man, the, having a, not a good lab work is probably one of the most frustrating things that you can ever do on a duck hunt. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've, uh, you know, I've, I've, I guess we had a couple people come out last year that, you know, guys that, oh, I don't know if my dog can come out and this, you know, I don't know how good he is. And I, I usually let guys bring them. And, you know, if your dog's ruining a hunt, you know, it's it's up to you, you know, and I'll tell you if I have to. But usually guys know <laughs> they're yeah. or something, you know, usually it's not an issue. You know, we're, we've all been there. We've all had a young dog and stuff. But, uh, you know, I just love I love the fire and drive they have. Um, my dog, you know, lays around the house. He's in here right now. I mean, he just lays around 
lazy, you would never guess. But when we go hunting, he is a machine. And uh, I've never seen a dog work this hard in my life. And you can hunt him every day, damn near. And uh, doesn't get sore, doesn't give up. I mean, he's he's phenomenal. And so I just love that drive, you know. Some of them have in there, it's like, uh, you know, it's built inside them. You know, there's something in there. Do you think that, that I've kind of heard two different schools of thought. I've heard some people say, you know, a duck dog is a duck dog and he's going to do nothing but be that. And then I've heard some that are like, you know, duck dog's my best friend. And then, you know, come September and on, he's, he's a duck dog or how do you, I know I see that you treat yours kind of as a, maybe a pet and a, a dog too. Do you ever see any lack of discipline because of that? Um, no, no. Uh, well, I, and it's a little different. I usually buy older dogs. I usually get okay. a, started, a started dog, two or three years old. And uh, basically just because I don't have the patience to deal with puppies, <laughs> personally. <laughs> you know, I love them. And, you know, I'm not saying I'm never going to not have another one. But uh, it's pretty nice to get a started dog. Um, you can kind of test drive them before you get them. See which one uh, likes you and responds to you well. And uh, give it a month, and they're going to love you just like you had them since they were a puppy, you know. And, uh, yeah, my dog, he uh, he's pretty seasoned, knows the program. And, uh, you know, he, I took him pheasant hunting. This is one thing where I took him pheasant hunting, and he never broke a day in his life. And then we went pheasant hunting, and now he likes to try to break on us when I call the shot or something, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's something we, we definitely got to work on. But that, that isn't because uh, he's a house dog, you know. It's just because... I took him on a hunt. He probably shouldn't have went on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So where's the, where's the main body of your clients coming from? Do they, you get clients coming in from all over the place or, you know, yeah. how, how does that work? Yeah. Um, so I built relationships with these clients at that quail outfitter, um, the last Buffalo. And, um, you know, a lot of them were from the East coast. And so the guys that I've guided for years up there, you know, they knew, that I knew what I was doing as far as on the commercial hunting side and, and what, what it takes for clients to be comfortable and have a good time. And so, um, when, you know, when I called them, I just called them up and told them, Hey, you know, I'm starting a duck hunting deal. And they, uh, you know, jumped, jumped right on board. And a lot of my clients have started from that. And that's what I started with. And they're from the East coast. I mean, I, I honestly, I, I prefer to have out of state guys just, I, I, it really doesn't matter to me. I have people from all over now, you know, but uh, it's just really cool to show someone a new new part of the country and a new way to hunt. You know, you get, I get a lot of guys from Washington, D.C., Virginia area, and, uh, hmm. you know, they might shoot, you know, five five mallards a year. You know, and, we, and then they're going to shoot, you know, a couple hundred of them, depending on how long they stay with us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, they shoot divers over there, and uh, we have a lot of puddle ducks, and so it's just cool to show these people, you know. Yeah, a little, different little diversity. That's cool, man. Yeah. So do you, uh, what's the duration? I mean, I know some people probably come in for a day hunt, but people coming out of state, like, what's a normal package for someone to come in? They come hunt three or four days? or Yeah. And I know you have the cabins. Maybe you could go into that a little bit if someone wanted to book a hunt, if they were out of state, how that would work. Right on. Um, yeah, so about three days, you know, three to five is a good time. I like guys to be here for three, and that's where I say out of state. It doesn't matter what state you're from, um, but I just like, I'd like you to come hunt for more than one day. You know, there's a lot of those guys that, you know, if you want to meet us up, 
not stay with us or something we can take care of you that way but i really like to have them there for three days so like you were saying and we were talking about earlier you know maybe one day we're in a milo field next day we'll go hunt a farm pond you know and the next day we're going to go do um you know one of my managed wetlands you know and that way you can kind of bounce around and have diversity you know unless you know sometimes you get guys that just want to hunt in a field too you know that's specifically what they're wanting to do and we'll take care of that too you know no problem um, yeah, but yeah, so we have a, uh, I have a ranch house that I rent that, that we were sharing with, with clients in the past, but it's one of those, you know, one, one bathroom bunk style sleeping arrangements. And, um, we're kind of growing out of that and it kind of turned into more of a, uh, guide shack now, but I also have another, I have another cabin that can house four guys very comfortably and it's really nice. Um, secluded cabin out in the woods it's it's a really cool place and uh so yeah we can bunk you up or you can um you know get a hotel we uh we travel a lot you know so uh it just kind of depends you know if you have a certain region of oklahoma you're wanting to hunt um you know some guys have family and so they can stay with family and uh you know we can kind of cater by having all my land so spread out you know i can the thought behind spreading out the land like that and i have you know both my houses aren't anywhere near each other um but that's you know by design so maybe the birds aren't on this side of the state and i'm you know i, I go 100 miles west and maybe there, there'll be more over there or maybe it's a closer starting point to where we're going to be hunting for the next three days yeah and so we'll use that house other than the other one and vice versa I think it's good to stay for multiple days, you know, waterfowl hunting. I've had, I've brought buddies in, in <laughs> during high school and we're like, man, we're going to slay. And we go out and we kill like six and they're like, I think I'm going to go home. You're like, I'm telling you, if yeah, you right. stay two more days, I promise one of these days we're going to get into them exactly. and they'll leave and we'll stack 30 mallards the next day. And we're like, I told you, dude. And like, <laughs> so like, I just think about it if I was guiding and like, the first day someone comes and kills five, I'm like, oh, you're full of crap. And you're like, no, please. Like, <laughs> give me. Right. Sometimes right. you need three days. You know, sometimes you got a guy that we've had a hunt where, man, we had 400 birds on one pond and then they were roosting a half a mile away. And as we're sitting there getting set up, we're like, oh, here, it's about to get on. And then we watch a, a five people drive up to the roost pond and bust 2,000 birds off this pond. And we're like, oh. At yeah. like five o'clock in the morning, we have all of those birds come in and land on the pond. We're like, are you kidding me? And right. stuff like that happens, man. That's waterfowl hunting. You never know. But I think the three or four or five days, that, that just really, that, that sets you up for a good experience. Exactly. Um, I agree. Increases your chances. Like you said, um, you know, while you're here, you're guaranteed, you know, if you're here for three days, we're going to have an absolute banger, at least one of them. I guarantee it. Um, but yeah, it's funny you said that about the roost pond. Yeah, that's that's what I was saying. If I can, and I know there's a year-to-year -year roost, you know, I try to lease it. So that does not happen, you know. But anything can cause that to happen from, you know, a bald eagle to someone's dogs running around the pond, you know, the neighbor's pond. Dogs get out and go run around. I've seen that happen, you know. A uh, bunch of things can blow up a roost and ruin a hunt real quick. You know, it can go south, you know, but... uh I guess you can call it ruining a hunt. They're always a good time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the one thing that's different about waterfowl hunting that I've always really appreciated is it's one of the only types of hunt that's really social. And 
I, I remember I remember in high school giving up so many deer hunts to go duck hunting because I'm like, man, I don't want to. I want to talk to somebody. I want to be able to like hang out and like kick it and shoot shoot crap and like <laughs> you don't get to do that when you're deer hunting. You're like, hey, oh, right. hey you know, right. yeah. And like and it's a you don't got to worry about your scent, you know. And uh, yep, I tell people it's like a party at five in the morning. You know, it's it's a good time. I Coffee love it. And, and breakfast and all that stuff, man. It's it's fun. It is it is absolutely fun. And if you got a good hunt, man, I mean, I remember having hunts of like five people and they're like, I'm like, I think we can get more than a five man. And it's like, well, I got my cousin. It's like, well, bring your cousin. Well, he's got a friend. We'll bring his friend too, you know, and we, and we go and get it done. It's like, man, this is just awesome. Right. And then, then you got too many people that want to hunt with you, but, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. man, it's fun. I just, I absolutely love it. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly, you know, why, why I believe most of us fall in love with this sport is um you know that camaraderie um the whole process of like-minded guys working together you know working for a common goal that's a that's what it's all about and that's really why i love it it's just you know the different people you get to meet um yeah like you said getting to talk you don't have to worry about being quiet you know after a volley you can hoot and holler and high five <laughs> yeah it's, yeah love it. now it's it's definitely unique so what this time of the year, if someone's listening, wondering, you know, you're, you're in the middle of summer, it's August. Well, I guess the tail end of summer now, but it's August. What are you doing right now to get ready for waterfowl season or what does your job look like to, throughout the rest of the year? Um, yeah, well I have a, um, it's kind of a part slash full-time job. I don't know. I'm a, I mean, it's a contractor job, so it's kind of up to me when I work. So I try to take care of that as much as I can in the off season because, um, you know, I don't do any of that when hunting season gets here. But, uh, you know, we manage some wetlands. Um, so I don't own any property, but I lease it. And, um, you know, I work with landowners. And uh, I do as much as they will let me do as far as that goes. And um, there's a few guys that I, I work with. And um, I have some really neat seasonal wetlands. That and Seasonal wetlands meaning they dry up every summer. And every winter they have water in them which is ideal, you know, pothole duck habitat. And, um, you know, you go in there and it, this year is kind of a pain just because all the water we had early in the summer, now it's bone dry. Um, but once it gets dry enough, get in there and I run a disc around and try to, it'll kickstart that smartweed, Pennsylvania smartweed to, to grow. And, um, you know, anything like that. And um, other than that, man, I'm meeting landowners and, uh, booking, booking, get getting everything booked up on the calendar. You know, mm -hmm. for the upcoming season. Do you uh, ever use the summer to go look at new pieces of property? Um, I wouldn't say go find a new piece, but the year before, I'm taking mental notes. You mm -hmm. know, everywhere I'm driving around and seeing what birds are doing and who's hunting where and things like that. And then, you know, I'll have a, a list in my head or an idea of who, of guys, maybe landowners or people I need to approach and uh, places I've, I've been eyeballing. You know, I, I don't ever just go in and, you know, if you didn't see it in the winter, it's really hard to just show up somewhere and say, but there's going to be ducks here. Um, unless it's just a cattail slough off a lake, you know what I mean? Or something very yeah. obvious. Uh, so, you know, you can get, you can get stretched pretty thin doing that. Uh, you gotta have to be careful, you know. But uh, no, I uh, definitely use it to build relationships with my landowners, and um, and you know, hang out with my wife. Of course, she likes that 
in the summer. Yeah, of course. <laughs> that's that's what I told Lauren. I got married like a month ago, and and all throughout a thank you all throughout a relationship, she was like, "I never see you in the fall," and I was like, "It's not going to change." <laughs> yeah, right. I, I pulled out a piece of paper while we were headed to Oklahoma last weekend, and it had like twelve weekends on it, and I was like, "I'm going to let you pick like three, like which one of these <laughs> you know which one of these do you want?" And none in November. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, my on that front you know my wife's getting more and more involved every year and um we've been together for 10 years so it's nothing new to her Mm -hmm. she's pretty used to it but uh but yeah no she's she helps out as much as she can um she's a professional photographer herself and so yeah if i can get her to go on a hunt you know where i'm always trying to get her to go so as much as she wants to she really likes to go watch the dogs and um you know, she doesn't shoot her gun much, but she'd rather shoot the camera and watch the dog work. Yeah, that makes for some really, really good pictures, man. The dogs are, they're always so photogenic. Right, right. So when you got, since you got all this, this land leased out for waterfowl, do you ever personally take advantage of any of it for, you know, whitetail hunting and stuff like that? Or are you, are you in a lot of areas that are not good for whitetail and water uh, waterfowl? No, we we see giant deer all over the place, but, um, through college and stuff, I spent a ridiculous amount of time in a tree and it's not that I'm over deer hunting, you know, I'll hunt the first week or so, but I just, I don't, I don't guide for it anymore. Um, it takes a lot of, a lot of work and it's just a different mindset than Mm -hmm. than bird hunting. And, um, you know, I just focus on the birds. That's how I can get, you know, quantity of clients in and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, as far as getting access to, to deer, it's a lot more difficult. Um, everyone's got a nephew, cousin, <laughs> brother-in-law or yep. something that, that, that wants to deer hunt, you know? So, uh, I kind of use that and, um, you know, it's one of the first things I might say when I go talk to somebody is I'm not interested in the deer, you know? So, uh, try to approach them for the waterfowl and, um, but yeah, I um I have some some deer hunting access on some of my land, and um I, my kind of deal is I, I love to manage property, and uh, I, I I get a kick out of making you know deer food plots more than I do actually hunting deer. So I, I like to go I'd like to go work right now if someone needs a hand, but just you know making food plots, hanging deer stands, figuring out you know a property and what the deer do on that property and stuff like the whole strategic side of it i really really like and i'd almost rather go sit someone else in there and shoot them you know yeah no that's awesome well a good thing about waterfowl is you know if you ever want to take a buddy deer hunting you're like it's always got to contingencies you're like you can shoot <laughs> this one you know but yeah don't shoot this one don't yeah but even look at it but when i'm taking when i'm taking buddy's duck on i'm like you know hell yeah like we'll both shoot you know like we'll, we'll just that's what i love about like like we were talking about earlier man waterfowl hunting it's just it's a lot easier to get people into i mean you get to shoot a lot uh it's active you get to talk all those things but yeah, I mean, what was your experience with with whitetail guiding? Did you enjoy it? I mean, that's something I'm really interested in. I'd like to get a little bit more insight into. Yeah, um, yeah, I really liked it. I mean, I was it was in my early 20s, you know, five five six years ago when I did that a lot, and uh, you know, it's definitely I've learned a lot. You know, with with clients and stuff, it's probably easier to put them in a box than it is in a tree stand, and if you can get away with it. 
you know, yep. not, not all guys are hardcore deer hunters and they just, they, uh, maybe aren't washing their clothes scent free and, uh, aren't worrying about stuff like that. And, uh, you know, that was kind of tough. That was the toughest part is, um, you know, as a guide or someone who hunts all the time, you're a lot sneakier than, uh, than a guy who does it every other year. Yeah. Is, you know, gets the time off work or, or however it works out. But, uh, but no, I loved it. I really liked stalking them, you know, wait for a really windy day. And, out, and it was out there in the panhandle where there are no trees. And so you can see for miles. So, you know, sit on a hill, glass, 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 and uh, never ending sagebrush. And then, um, you know, use the terrain to get in front of them and that kind of stuff. I, you know, I love that. Same, same kind of idea you'll do with turkey hunting. If you, you know, if you're not sitting on a tree, you're kind of doing the same idea. And uh, out in western Oklahoma is where I mostly deer hunt. I don't know what the hell you guys do over there <laughs> with all those trees and stuff. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know what to, how to approach that, you know. <laughs> no, it's a lot of sitting. hill and glass is what we did, you know. That's fun. That I mean, so when you were starting your outfitting business, I know that you said you have kind of a contractor job on the side too. So you have that that supplement and income where you're not like taking ultimate risk, but you're still taking a lot of risk, you know, throughout the the whole winter. And I mean, was there, what was it like that first year that you started? Were you really worried about it? Like, or were you confident that since you had all those previous relationships? First year was a train wreck. It was, (laughs) it was rough. Um, I had a, I had a partner, partner going into it. And, um, you know, we got through dove season and then, you know, our relationship kind of fell apart and they say, you know, don't work with friends. Well, this is a <laughs> perfect example of that. And, um, you know, we, we split up two weeks before waterfowl season started on the first year. And, um, I just went in and did it myself. I was, you know, I, it was going to happen with me either way. That's what I was doing. And, uh, you know, it was rough. It was real rough. Um, wonder, you know, wondering what you're doing with your life. Right. I mean, it was in you know, my dog. I had another dog. It got ran over in front of the lodge that, oh, no. that first year. And, you know, so lost my dog. Had an uncle die in the same week. And then lost my best friend and business partner at the beginning of the season. You know, so I put in my damn... <laughs> I put in the hard times. You, <laughs> you <know>? took your <laughs> licks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, you know, it's all uphill from here. So, yeah, it definitely wasn't easy. Um, but uh, it's just like any other business you hear people start talk about starting up uh you know it doesn't ever start off easy it seems like when you when you're talking to older guys or anyone that started a business so yeah just keep at it and um you know one thing i learned here in the last year or two is when i put my neck out there it pushes me to work a lot harder um it kind of drives me too so you know i you know, the first year I took a lean against my vehicles to get get a bigger trailer, more decoys. You know, I had, you know, I borrowed money. To get yeah. Going. And, um, you know, it, it when you, you know, put your ass on the line, so to speak, you know, it, it's either, you know, you know, shit or get off the pot, I guess. Yeah. The <laughs> yeah. But, and so, you know, I, and I've learned, you know, through myself that, that that's what drives me and pushes me to work harder. So every year I'll make it a point to, you know, to try to push myself out of my comfort zone 
as far as um, that, you know, the risk you're talking about goes. And every mm-hmm. year, every year, you know, I perform and, and it all ends up okay. So, so do you, as you're getting more and more into it, you know, in your second and third and fourth year, so are you taking more risks in terms of like, you know, I'm going to get more guides to help me. I'm going to get more land than I ever had before. I'm going to get more decoys, more lodging is like, are you just scaling the business up and that kind of brings some anxiety as well? Yeah. Or what does that look like? Yeah, no, exactly. Um, you know, so I try, you know, getting guys to work with you. There's always a bunch of buddies that want to hunt, you know, and tag along and they'll, they'll help you put out decoys and stuff. But really you need for the hunting season, you need full-time help. Um, you need guys scouting. You need someone to help clean a lodge, clean birds, you know, all that. And I, you know, I've been doing it and I still do it. Um, but it takes a lot, it's a lot of moving parts in this business. And, um, you know, it's, I have anxiety sometimes, you know, just getting guys to come help, you know, if you only get four months or three months to, to really do your thing. So picking a guy and say, you're going to hire people through the summer, you know, you don't really get the test drive. You don't really get, you know, you just throw them right into the hunting season and go. So it's really tricky to, to make sure you have the right guys that either aren't going to try to take advantage of something. Um, or, you know, if you're just going to be here for this year and then you're going to start a new job next year, well, unless I need you, you know, I need, I, I'd like a strategic partner or someone to work with me that's going to be here because every year you learn so much more about the different land we have or what the birds are doing in our area, which is, you know, every year of experience you're getting that much better at being a guide in a certain area. Yeah. So, uh, you know, picking a a good guy you get along with outside of hunting and then also sees eye to eye with, you know, the the way you're hunting, you know, we're not going to get in a dang, an argument about the shape of the decoy spread, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that kind of stuff, you know, so just make sure everyone's on the same page and, um, and yeah. And going back to, to your question, uh, always expanding always trying to do more and more and more without uh you know out outgrowing your britches so to speak i guess uh <laughs> you want to yeah. you want as much land as you can so you obviously have you know the best hunt you can but at the same time you know where is your land at in ratio to where maybe your guides will be housed and and um yeah, and the decoys and stuff that that comes along, you know, buying new decoys and stuff. But uh, you know, you got to advertise, spend money on advertising, or uh, maybe doing a show. You know, that costs money, and so you know, there's a little bit you get nervous about that. You know, you got to pay for a show the summer before you do the show, and uh, you know, is it going to pan out? Things like that. You know, it's all just risk and reward, just like anything else in life. Yeah. yeah you know so, at first it didn't make as much sense you know <laughs> kind of seemed crazy but now as it's kind of grown it you know it all kind of comes together it makes a lot more sense yeah i've heard if you're doing something that you're you're passionate about the money will come because you're naturally going to love it and be motivated to do it more and that's something that i've i've noticed with myself it's like man i, I could sit at work all day and at five like deuce i'm i'm out but like if you're like you know like hey come help me plant this food plot like no problem you know as long as as long as you need man 
So yes. when it comes to, you know, picking out a guide, and I, I'm sure it's different from every segment, you know, from quail to, to waterfowl to whitetail, but when you're picking a waterfowl guide, are you picking people that, you know, you've just seen through other friends, like, hey, this guy's really good at hunting, he's a really good caller, um, you know, he's really strategic on the way he thinks about stuff, or like, how does that work? Yeah, well, yeah, huh, that's a tough one. Uh, it goes off. I try to always do everything from word of mouth if you're going to hire somebody. Mm -hmm. Uh, So either somebody can speak up for them, speak for them. um, Or, you know, I had some guys that I only know through social media, and that's what I meant I'll get kind of nervous about because I've never spent, you know, extended time with these guys. And so, you know, you you can't base everything off of someone's social media account, obviously. And uh, Yeah, some pawn jumpers out there. (laughs) so i try to you know try to get either someone who has guided in the past or um you know obviously you know would be be helpful you know i've had some guys try to get a hold of me that you know they they own a car never had a dog and own six decoys and well (laughs) you know you're just not gonna it's not that you can't do it it's just there's people with more experience and in this business there's no way to get trained or to learn anything other than experience. And that's the yep. only thing you can go off of. And so really, you know, you just want an experienced person and someone who's experienced in guiding duck hunts in Florida might not be very good in Oklahoma either too. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's very fair. That's fair, man. I mean, there's some people that uh, like, there's a lot, I feel like there's so many factors to think about when you're hiring someone as a guide, like, some people might be a damn good shot, but they're not a good contextual caller. Like they don't know, yeah. like you got them cupped and like, Wah! I'm like, mm, not the time, you know? And it's, I feel like there's so many things like that that you can't measure unless you've just went hunting with a guy. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. And, um, you know, you need a, you need people, I don't, a, a people guy, people person, right? You mm-hmm. want, cause what, what we're doing, you're only hunting three hours in the morning and, um, you know, we do evening hunts, but not every day. You know, if you're here for three days, we're gonna we're gonna get you on an evening hunt too, a double, double, and two in one day kind of deal. Yeah. But um, you know, you, you just wanna you're with guys one on one all day long, either in the truck going to and fro the hunting spot, or while you're sitting in the blind, or we're eating lunch. You know, and so what's almost just as important as experience is just the ability to you know a very not, um, selfless person that is willing to talk to these guys you know um, they take off vacation it's a big deal you know to come out here and to hunt with us and I and we know that and I need guys to recognize that and it's about the clients not about us not about anything else it's about making the best experience for them and you know if someone knows that and understands that They'll be fine on the experience side. It'll come. Yeah. I agree, man. That's that's really cool. So you you guys offer, I know you offer spring turkey. Are, are you hunting primarily, I know you guys are in the western part of the state, so you guys are hunting Rios, right? Yep, all Rios. Okay. You got some pretty vocal birds out there, or how's, oh, yeah. the, how's your turkey population looking? I know we got a lot of rain this year, so you don't know about that hatch. The hatch is phenomenal. Uh, really? They weren't in a creek bottom where they got flooded out. 
you know, that's the only way they would have lost the nest. But I have seen poults everywhere this summer. Really? Um, so out here, at least, it's it's great. But, uh, you know, I hunt a lot in western Oklahoma, you know, Blaine County. It's one of the most densely populated counties for, for turkeys in the state. And it's uh, it's pretty crazy how many birds there are. And, um, you know, Rio's are very vocal, pretty dumb. I mean, not dumb. I don't know what you want to call it, but, uh, Dumber. Eastern, they're way <laughs> you know, I've yeah. heard those Easterns, they're, they're tricky and not nearly as exciting to hunt, you know, but very rewarding, I guess. Um, but yeah, no, I loved Rio's. And that was the first thing I actually ever took a one-on-one client doing was a turkey hunt. Um, he was like 86 years old. <laughs> Oh wow! Wow. First turkey at eighty six. Did you guys go very far? (laughs) (laughs) We went we went decent far, but we you know with lots of breaks in between. You know, right? Yeah, me and a buddy went to went to Mississippi in March this last year. I guess this year now, and uh, man, that was different. That was so different than than hunting Rios, man. We, oh my goodness, they wouldn't talk, and like you you'd stay still for an hour like all right you want to get up and you'd be like hold on i think i see something and like it's like it's like hunting deer all over again but a rio you know he's blowing his head off the whole way in and it's a much more exciting hunt but the man like those big chocolate fans and like you get the sun blowing behind and they look almost golden and i'm like this is so cool but turkeys are definitely a fun hunt what does it look like for you guys um how many days do people usually come hunt rios you've got the same setup on the cabins too yeah Yep, similar setup. Um, the um, the one cabin I have, um, I just I call it, I call it deer or turkey camp. Very, I mean that's usually what I call it. It's a, you know, it's on a property covered in turkeys. There'll be sixty, eighty turkeys on that property with that cabin, and um, um, yeah, so they'll come for, you know, we usually do a two bird. I got a two bird lodge limit. Um, a lot of guys, you know, they're asking if it's a two bird county, you know. I just have a two bird lodge limit just to help conserve birds for other yeah. markets, things like that. Um, but you know, guys come for two or three days. If you're here for, if you're here for three days, I can almost guarantee you're going to have an opportunity to shoot your two turkeys. Um, a lot of times guys get it done in two, but typically, you know, we got a group of four. I'll have them come for three days because, you know, two guys might get there, but one guy might get two birds in one day. The other guy might take two, you know, and then there's always a straggler left that last day. We're all, to, <laughs> we're all rooting for him, working together to get. All right. But, uh, but yeah, you know, two days, two birds is, is plenty of time. Usually as long as it doesn't rain, you know, that's what I tell everyone. If it's rainy or windy, that's the only time you might as well just stay at home. When <laughs> yeah. So do you, do you get a good gauge every, every summer or, um, you know, in fall of like what your flock looks like and is that how you base how many people can come out the year or do you sell a limited amount of hunts based on what you think you have throughout your properties? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely manage it and, um, you know, I've been kind of on the first hand of managing properties and that, like I said, growing up being around commercial hunting. So I got to see behind the scenes of, uh, the older guys kind of talking about, how we're going to manage this property and this and that. So I took a lot from that and um, I probably hunt 18 to 21 days of the 30. You know, I don't know exactly how many days it is. I think it's around 30, 31 days of of season here. And, um, you know, we just kind of bounce around properties. So 
there might be a property that's covered in turkeys and you know we go in there and maybe shoot a double and hell you could go back that afternoon and shoot another turkey but i'm not going to i'm gonna yeah. save it for three or four days because you know every time those birds see a person walking around them woods it, they remember it and uh you just kind of limit the amount that they are seeing people and space it out because you know no one likes hunting pressured birds they'll turn off and be like easterns you know yep and, uh, tight lip <laughs> yep and so you know i try to really bounce around from different properties and you know keep track of how many toms we've shot here and as far as counting birds like you're asking uh i usually do that in march um show up march when they start separating because uh you know our birds you know will winter somewhere different than where they're their their breeding ground in the spring will be and so you know you can go down on a creek bottom in the middle of the winter and you might see 80 to 120 turkeys in a giant black ball yeah walking up and down the canadian river in the middle of the winter and well if you pay attention those are all going to be this year's birds or hens in a giant ball and um you know then you might see another group of 20 and those are all toms um and so once the spring rolls around in march they start splitting up and you know, I don't know, I'm not banding them or nothing, but I would assume they're just going back to the same breeding grounds that they, you know, go to year to year. Then I'll roll in there mid-March, kind of scout, see how many long beards are here and this and that. And yeah, they get, you know, they're going to lose fights and go down the creek and um, things like that. So, you know, just kind of get a basic number and um, try to always leave, leave at least one mature tom and a pile of jakes everywhere on each property and you know as long as you do that you'll be okay year to year oh yeah we were scouting we had scouted a public piece of public ground for like two years and like hadn't seen a single turkey but like we knew that they were there at some point and uh we went up in march and we're scouting real hard and like walked all these winter wheat fields like man i see all these tracks we got back in the truck and saw 16 toms in one group <laughs> and there was like nine swingers and we were like holy hell and like, and we yeah, were like looking like around. The, go on, sorry. No, no, I was just saying we were looking around, praying that there wasn't a truck close to us. Right. Yeah. No. It's kind of reminds me of you know, bachelor groups with deer, kind of. You know, it's like right before April gets here, it seems like, you know, you can catch them before they split up, and uh, I think that's probably what you were saying there, as if I had a guess, because once the uh, breeding season gets here, those. Those uh, big long beards won't let those jakes stay very close to them, anyways. You know. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, those particular birds split up real quick during season. I mean, we just the one road that we were looking to hunt on opening day, we drove down and we saw like eight other vehicles, and we're like, "Oh, nice! This is gonna be awesome." And those birds, they go from gobbling on the first day to tight-lipped, and it seems about one day is about what it takes up there. Wow. And it's it's super frustrating. Yep. Yep, and I try not to call on them too much, and you just don't want to educate them. You know, it's just like anything else. These are hopefully three, four-year-old birds. They've uh, seen me before, heard my call before, and, uh, you know, I call the least I can get away with, basically. You know, some people just want to hear that gobble, hit their call and hear the gobble, hit the call, hear the gobble, and they'll just do that until that bird shuts up. But really, curiosity will kill more turkeys than... Oh, yeah calling them right up you know calling them up like that so maybe call and sit for five ten minutes call again and before you know it you know he's gonna be poking his head around the corner trying to find it 
Oh yeah, it seems like they can't stand that. Like, it's like over here, and, and you you be quiet. And he's like, "Hey, where you at?" You know, he like comes running in. We had the opening day. We had one. Uh, we had one roosted, and we saw we were sitting down right before he's about to jump off the roost, and we're like, "We he he lights up." We're like, "Okay, this is on Publix." So we're like, "He's right here. This is gonna be so easy." And he pitches down, and we is is about to pitch down. We see three headlights from the other side walking in from private to go on this other side of the field. We're like, no. And this bird, this bird is just putting on a show. His head's like ghost white. It was really weird, but he, uh, he was doing that thing where he, he puffs, he puffs up and he, he gobbles and he does that sideways walk, he just walks back and forth and comes about five yards closer and does it. And he's, to me, it was like, you know, come on, baby. He's like, I see you. Right. He's, like, he's like puffing him. He's like, come on, come on. And then his, those other dudes grabbed a box call and just hammered on it one time. And his hens were like, no. And they like took off. And when they got about 200 yards away, he looked back and saw that there was one here and six going the other way. And he just sprinted off. But that left a, that left a sour taste in my mouth for that place. Yeah. And then uh, have you ever done much of the, the reaping, I guess, what people call it, where you use the fan? No, I really haven't done too much of that. Um, oh. I know there's some guys that don't don't like it for whatever reason, you know. But uh, man, you want to talk about the most exhilarating thing you can do with a turkey is belly crawl with a fan in front of you. And man, I've got some of the biggest, most stubborn birds like that one right there. If we got a bird hand up in a field, he ain't gonna come typically. And uh, you know you, how you can really piss him off is get in front of him flash that fan in front of him and those hens you know a lot of times the hen, i've had hens walk at me thinking i'm another turkey they come hang out hang out by me for a little bit just be patient and then you know you can you know it's an adrenaline rush to have oh, yeah. a giant turkey come up to your face like that and uh there's nothing like it and i get people that you know have never done that style of hunting that run and gun style and it's pretty exciting. That's how I like to chase them personally. If I'm going to go shoot a turkey, I get a 410 single shot and I go belly crawling around. Get close. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I think that's a good way to keep to have a lifelong lifelong client if you get one on like on a turkey like that the first time. That's exhilarating. Oh. I haven't got to do that yet. Well, I mean, the problem the per- is they always miss if it's their first time because they're melting <laughs> down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true, you man. Talk about buck fever. Yeah. You. That is, uh, even with me, you know, I get shaky, you know, I'm all calm and they get up in my face and man, there's nothing like it. I love it. That's so cool. I I mean, I love when they get together and they start synchronized gobbling. We had four Easterns come in on us in Mississippi and I, they were blowing my eardrums there. Those Easterns don't gobble very much, but when they, when they gobble, they were so loud. They're a bigger bird too, I think, body wise. mm -hmm. Yeah, every single one of these birds had like an 11-inch beard too. And it wasn't a thin beard. They were all paint brushes. So they were all coming in goblin synchronized. Oh, it was so cool. It was so cool. I don't know if you could kill one of those birds with a fan. They'd probably be like, hell no. And turn right yeah. around. They don't really play that game. But it seems like the Rios like to play that game. They're just an aggressive bird, I think. you know. And people say that about Miriams too. Um, same thing. They're just really vocal and very aggressive. And... uh I guess I'm just lucky. That's just kind of what I've known. I've shot one Eastern in Eastern Oklahoma. And other than that, I've never even seen one. So uh, it's just second. It's just what I've always, you know, come to expect and what I came to know with the Rios. But, yeah, people say it all the time with my East Coast guys that come. You know, they can't get enough of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fun bird to hunt. 
So what uh, I wanted to talk a little bit, I know you might, I don't know how much you do of it, but I saw that you have helicopter hog hunts and, yeah. and coyote hunts. And that to me, so like my father-in-law doesn't hunt very much, but he was, I showed him one of those things and he watched them on YouTube for like an hour. And he's like, this is something, now I don't hunt, but th- if I was going to hunt, this is how I'd want to do it. And so what are those about and like, how do, how do those end up working out? Okay, well, uh, yeah, really good buddy of mine. Um, Web Aviation is the name of the business. He's the pilot, and he uh, has his commercial license, but owns the owns the the helicopter. And he is um, around Canton, Watonga, Oklahoma. And uh, we just kind of work together to, um, you know, I kind of have the housing, and he didn't have housing, so you know, his guys will stay in my house or so. And so we kind of work together. So I'm not putting on the helicopter hog hunt per se, but you know, me me through him. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of help him. Ho- hopefully, I push clients to him, you know, and vice versa. So, uh, but no, that there's nothing like that. And I think we're, he's the only one in Oklahoma doing it um, that I know of, and it is unbelievable. So, and he's on, he's working right now on getting a uh, target range put up. So maybe guys that don't necessarily want to kill something or or maybe can't afford it or something, there'll be a cheaper option to where you can fly around and shoot, you know, metal plinking targets out of the chopper too. And, uh, you know, covering lots of ground and, uh, it's amazing the different perspective you get when you get up in that helicopter, you know, uh, how many pigs that there are in certain areas is pretty impressive. I mean, it's, uh, they're doing so much damage in crops and, uh, that's actually regulated by the agriculture department, not, really? not by the wildlife or hunting, hunting, uh, department at all. So. Really, it's just a, you know, a pest considered a pest, and it does billion billion dollars in Oklahoma every year to to crops, and so they kind of let you have free reign on them, and uh, you don't need a license or anything. Uh, he'll set you up with guns, ammo, show up and get in the chopper, and get after it. Damn, that's fun. Maybe play some CCR over the radio. <laughs> <laughs> So what is it, what's the average number? I mean, I'm sure it varies greatly, but how many, if you took a couple guys, how many hogs would you expect to get? Oh, uh, if you're in the, in the winter and that's usually when we're flying, you know, you got to wait till the leaves fall off the trees. So you can, so you can see everywhere. Yep. Yep. So yeah. you, you can't see them. You can't do nothing. You know, usually you find them in the forest and you push them, you know, herd them, if you will, out into a wheat field and then mm-hmm. let her, let her rip. But, uh, a good good hunt you know you're gonna shoot 15 20 hogs and a couple bonus coyotes you know in about an hour that's so fun so you do do you do hunts just for coyotes too so someone that's only interested in hunting coyotes yeah so the coyote deals um i think it's a little cheaper and uh you do that that's what he does in the spring so like calving season okay right after the winter um you know there'll be coyotes posted up on every herd of cows you know within a couple hundred yards just watching them and um uh, you know, that helps the farmers out, helps everybody out. So it's easy to get permission with mm-hmm. stuff like that. You know, and no one wants pigs and no one wants coyotes. So it's pretty easy to get permission. You know, I think he flies, you know, I don't know the number, but it's an insane amount of land he has access to fly over. And so, uh, you know, I will say the coyote is extremely hard compared to the pig. You know, pigs run the straight line. They run kind of slow yeah coyotes so you'll they'll look over their shoulder and see and go the other way and then they're like hauling ass and going through fences at 40 miles an hour you know it's it's unbelievable it's a lot harder to shoot them 
Um, most fun I ever had in my life was, you know, doing a coyote hunt last year. Or actually, it, might have, it was this this uh, late February, early March. And, uh, man, those things haul ass and they're skinny. You know, you know, target size-wise, you know, a pig is big. And then a coyote gets real small real easily somehow. You can shoot around them the whole time. And, uh, but, man, it's fun. There's nothing like it. Yeah, that Definitely sounds, a bucket sounds awesome. Thing that, that everyone, I think, should should try to save up and do yeah i mean it's a it's a, for something that cool it's really cheaper than like a really nice whitetail hunt it's like half as much as like a real like a guided whitetail yeah. hunt and i mean i know it only lasts an hour and a half but that's you're not wasting any time you know you're right. getting up there and you're firing shots and that's fun man one of the most fun things i ever did is when i moved to texas i had a guy take me out hog hunting and i was like yeah i want to get a couple of my bow he's like yeah that's not gonna happen i'm like why not he's like that's not how we hunt them around here he's like we either hunt them with dogs or off a four-wheeler i was like what do you mean off a four-wheeler he came in he's like all right i'm gonna turn these lights on be quiet one two three and then all these hogs burst out of this field he's rounding them up on this four-wheeler circling them and i'm shooting them with a, a 12 gauge pump with a with buckshot off the side i missed my first shot and then i fold three of them and i was like wow. this is sick and like we're shooting them like we're, i'm like you know, six feet away from Mampa Four Wheeler, driving them next to him, just shooting them, and they're screaming. And like, I can't imagine shooting them out of a helicopter. Like, I think that would even be more fun. So that's something I'd be really interested in doing. That sounds that sounds awesome. Absolutely, I've really been trying to get some, you know, guys. And I've had a couple do it with turkey hunts, where you know we do a combo, where we're turkey hunting, and then um, we do a do a hog hunt while you're here with me turkey hunting. I really want to get some duck hunters doing that. You know, we can have yeah. the, the chopper pick you up at at the duck blind, even <laughs> go straight from a duck hunt into doing that, you know, or something. I, I've really been trying to find some guys to do both. That'd yeah, cool. that'd be cool. Well, I mean, the business is growing. Yeah, I hope to get you a, a couple clients at least through this. So that would be great. Yeah. So, what uh, what would you? I mean, for me, I think one of the things that provides the most value to me is you know just kind of how you've talked about getting land and something that i think i've taken away from this is like for me i've always thought about it like if i ever want to own a whitetail outfitter because i'm really interested in guiding for whitetail i'm gonna have to own a bunch of land and you kind of disproved that to me that you can lease a lot of land and so you know if you were gonna only start just a whitetail outfit how much land would it take for you just to just to start something i know it varies so much based on open country and you know northeast oklahoma is a lot different from northwest but how much land yeah. do you think you'd have to manage, you know, to take a few clients out every year? Well, I think, you know, on, on the whitetail deal, it would be ideal to have large tracts of land. Um, yeah. So maybe Eastern Oklahoma, I know it can be harder to come by, but, oh, excuse me, um, you know, you got to think about if your neighbors are hunting and this and that, and um, you really want to be able to manage your herd. Or, or at least be next to somewhere that people can't hunt or, you know, aren't ever going to hunt or something. So, you you know, if you're just leasing 160 acres here and 160 acres there and they're all spread out, and that's great. But not if your neighbor, it, you know, shoots every four point he sees with right. his cousins. You're right. So you're not going to be doing any good there. So it's, you know, it's really about location and um I don't, I don't know. I don't know how much land you need, right? Like, I mean, I feel like, you know, thousand acre, a couple different thousand acre properties, you know, six forties, you know, square miles if it's dense enough with a bunch of forest where 
you know, your, a lot of your deer aren't hopefully aren't leaving much. Yeah. Right? To get shot or get ran over or, or whatever else is going on. And that way you can feel comfortable with, with leaving maybe a management eight point, you know, one of the borderliners, you know, you, if you know your neighbor's going to shoot him, you might as well shoot him. Right. But if, if you know for a fact that that deer will make it the next year, unless he's hit by a car, you know, you, that's when you can really grow some big deer and then manage a property. Right. And, uh, yeah, yeah that's, it, it just kind of would depend, you know, I'd say on that end of it. And, uh, if, if white tail, you know, the, the rifle season's only 16 days. And so I would think if I was going to make a business out of it, I would maybe focus on hardcore bow hunters. Because mm-hmm. I think it'd be somewhat easy to kind of fill a, two weekends of rifle, you know, compared to the extending your season and get really getting the three months out of it. The way. Oh yeah, I feel like you could sell the rifle hunts just on trail cam photos. Like you right. are like, oh, I'll get a, I'll get a shot, yeah, <laughs> you know, right. or yeah. I'll, or I'll throw up a hail mary. But like, yeah, that's something I thought about because just hunting places back at home I and mean, one of the biggest places I hunt's like 160 acres and you know only 15 of it's huntable the rest of it's just like hay fields and then I've hunt a 40 acre track but then I went down to my my buddy's house in southwest Oklahoma and he has like 3,000 acres and they manage for deer hard and the first time we went out we sat we drove into the field to try to kill a fall turkey set up the blind and saw 26 deer and a 150 inch four-year-old and he was like I wouldn't let you shoot that deer. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, it's a four-year-old. I was like, dude, this is just different. Like, it's just, yeah, right, right. it's different, man. So, I mean, that's something I'd really be interested in doing. But like you said, I mean, it's risky. And like the taking the lean on your truck and, and all those things, like that kind of, that, that that's a cool story because it's something you're always going to be able to tell, you know, whether you have kids or your friends and family that like you, like you said, you have to take risks to do something you want to, you love and, that's something I feel like I might have to, hopefully not to lean on the truck, but <laughs> some, I might have to take some sort of risk like that when I'm starting something for myself too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, and it's a big initial with the whitetail thing. And that's, what's kind of neat about it. Looking at it from a business standpoint, you know, whitetail, it's a big initial investment, you know, to get, you're going to need 10, 15 blinds. You're going to need some tree stands. You're going to need some feeders, a bunch of trail cams, you know, but once you have those things, you have them. Right. right. A blind, a box, nice box blind should last you 10 years or something, you know? So it's not like you got to, you know, renew, um, renew all that stuff. So that's nice about that part of the business, I would say, from, from targeting whitetail. So once you kind of get set up, you're kind of mm-hmm. set up somewhat, you know? Yeah, yeah. Then you always get those variable costs like corn, man. I'm gonna. <laughs> I used to just dump corn, and I, I got to the point where I'm like, I'm not dumping corn anymore. I'm getting a feeder because I'm dumping, you know, a freaking ten dollar bag of corn every freaking day. It seems like you got yeah. coons and all that other stuff, but yeah, bulk. yeah, exactly, exactly. Buying bulk. But, no, uh, man, that's something I'm. I'm excited about. I think this has given me a lot of insight and you know direction in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. It, it's definitely be exciting. Like I said, I've always kind of, I don't know if you can tell, but I always kind of wish I was involved with deer somewhat more, but it's just a lot of work checking cameras and the seasons are coincide with, with waterfowl. And, you know, for me, I got to pick one or the other. And, um, so, you know, I went with ducks, but yeah, I, I, like I said, I love, 
love managing for deer. I love watching them. Love watching them grow. You know, they're they're a pretty interesting animal. So I'd like to, I like that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So I mean, has your love for being able to work somewhere that you're really passionate about has that kind of fueled you through it? Like, is something you see like, hey, I'm gonna do this for the rest of my life? I can tell you that. Is that is that how kind of you see it going? Oh yeah, I ain't going anywhere. Um, this is all I've done my entire adult life. It's all you know. That's all I know. Uh, so I even it's been hand in hand in part of my life. And like I said, I adjusted my school schedule. It took me way too long to finish college. <laughs> and it was all because I was chasing quail around circles or following a bird dog, you know? So, yeah. Uh, it's what I do. It's what I think about what I dream about, you know, no, no question. As long as I can physically, um, this is what I'll be doing. I would imagine. So, Yeah. I mean, I, I heard a quote the other day by, it was Henry David Thoreau, and it's, uh, most men live lives of quiet desperation. Like, you're sitting in a cube all day, you're desperate, you know, you, you're, there's something that you're passionate about that you want to do, and it's cool to talk to someone that is doing it, you know? You're doing something that, at some point, I would like to do, and I don't feel like I get to do enough of, so, I mean, that's... Yeah. I need to look at it that way more often, I guess. Huh? Yeah, I mean, and, and I know it, it's so circumstantial based on, like, if you're in it, it's hard to look out and be like, I'm so lucky, you know, I get to do this, or, you know, you're like, oh, I got to wake up and watch him get off the, you know, get off the pond, and, you know, and you're like, but, like, some dude's sitting in a cube right now, like, oh, I want to shoot some damn ducks, like, he's all pissed off at his work, and, like, one, I don't know, man, it's really cool. One of my favorite things, a client, an old old wealthy client told me a long time ago is uh you know he he's worked his entire life to make enough money and to have enough free time to come hang out with me and do what i do every day yep and that kind of goes with what you're talking about and so you know i try to try to tell myself and remind myself of stuff like that all the time you know it's and it's not like there's anything negative about any of this it's just it's a lot of hard work and um you know it's uh you got to take the risk and put yourself out there and uh you know maybe having a job isn't necessarily like that but uh you know life's also about experience of life you know yeah not just about you know comfort maybe or something like that so you exactly know, try to bring the world to me instead of you know the other way around or something so it's the way i look yeah. at it that's cool man you're building a cool community i'm really excited to kind of see where it goes and if someone wants to you know book a hunt with you or keep up with what you guys are doing with the outfit or uh what a where's the best place for them to do that um instagram instagram will be the best though you can keep up with us on there uh the handle i guess is the underscore outfit underscore oklahoma and um we we have a really really big uh, just opened up a new website which i'm pretty proud of my my wife helped me with that one she's killer um <laughs> But yeah, the guys should go there. It's just theoutfitok.com. Is it a, can they actually book hunts there? Or is it like a inquiry and then you reach out and book yeah. or how does that uh, work? Yeah, you, you reach out to me for sure. Um, you call the phone number, it's my phone's going to ring. Um, so, you know, I, I talk to people or email with them and, you know, everyone's got a lot of questions. And so you can kind of look at our prices and, and, and see if you want to do it, then call me. Then I'll kind of let you know with availabilities and, um, what we have to offer and maybe what you're looking for. Um, another big thing we got going this year is we're opening, um, opening a lodge up in Canada, up in Saskatchewan. 
which is a huge deal. Um, dream of mine my whole life. And, um, you know, this year we're not necessarily booking a bunch of dates. Uh, we acquired the, the business pretty late. And so it, uh, you know, this year we'll just be going through the motions, learning the things we need to learn and, um, you know, kind of need to get the lodging figured out and things like that. But, uh, if you want to go to Canada, I got a spot. So, yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. That's cool to see a fellow Oklahoma guy doing that because I've always wanted to go to, go to Canada, but it's always a sketchy process of like, you know, I'm looking at guys, a guy's website and I'm like, ah, is this legit? Are we going to do something? You know, how's this going to work? But no, that's cool. I mean, you got the outfit here, you're establishing that and you're branching out into a really the best waterfowl hunting place in the entire world, which is, <laughs> that's right. so cool. Yeah. That's awesome. What's that one? What's that one going to be called? Um, the outfit Saskatchewan. Okay. So yeah, keep the outfit kind of thing going on and, um, the outfit Saskatchewan, and that that came together. It's a pretty neat story. He actually started. Um, the guy that lives up there, my partner, you know, started as a client. Uh, he came on a turkey hunt because they don't obviously don't have turkeys that far north. And uh, we hit it off. It's one of those guys that you know you meet, and it seems like you've known him your whole life. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a few years ago, and it grew and grew. And he finally talked me into going up there. He kept trying to get me to go up there, so. I went up there and kind of see what he had to offer and what was going on. And, um, you know, me and him went in and, and uh, got acquired this outfitting business. You know, it, the way things work up there is a little different than down here. Yeah. Um, as far as owning a business and stuff. So got all the paperwork and all that kind of stuff figured out. And, um, yeah, I'm ready to ready to get up there and you know, see how see how it all comes together. Hey guys, thank you so much for consuming the Hunter's Advantage podcast. We really appreciate it, and we really do do the podcast for you all. And just to stay in tune with that and what you guys want to hear, feel free to message us on Facebook or Instagram on who you would like to see on the podcast next.